0: Inclusive Activism listeners, this is Rowdy, and I am getting to you at the very last moment of the very last day of the very last moment in April. Uh, It's not like midnight, but it is 1.20. So, you know, I'm I'm getting close there. Uh, So thank you for tuning in. I got an interesting podcast for you, and I'm interested to talk about it, but I'm wondering how it's going to go with you, and I'm wondering what you're going to think of me, especially because we're going to be talking about speciesism and what is speciesism and kind of like the idea of like how speciesism connects to indigeneity and how it infects. well how it how it's a form like how it makes colonization like a thing and then we'll also talk about how it starts to like help us really unpack indigeneity so let's get started what even is speciesism speciesism is like an egotistical worldview. Uh, what we'll do is we'll, like trying to think of like a pyramid, and what's at the top of the pyramid? Of course, humans and males and white males and rich white males. Like you know, when we're thinking about who's at the pinnacle of this pyramid. So when we're illustrating this socially, conduct- socially constructed hierarchical worldview within Western culture, we emphasize the need to engage with this anthrop anthropocentric worldview that is one that takes humans as the reference point superior to everything earthly and how that worldview is constructed and maintained. In the context of schools, educators can play a vital role in challenging this egocentric worldview that reflects our culture's extreme anthropocentrism they like so educators us like people that are inclusive activists we have the ability and arguably the social and ethical responsibility to work towards preparing global citizens where diverse communities of human cultures understand the need and potential for deconstructing then reconstructing this problematic and currently dominant worldview how can we shift from this egotistical worldview uh, how can we st- stop having humans at the top of a hierarchy of life? and how can we get how can we get humans to then think about how to really value all non-human living entities? So when we're talking about the speciesism concept, like really getting a sense of what is the problem when we really have humans at the top and we're not really understanding, what does it mean? What does it mean for us that we're not like thinking of the other living beings on this planet as equal to us? So to anchor this a little bit more, I'm going to go to one of my favorite sites. Uh, I like this site. I think it's pretty good. I think it's actually pretty acumen, and so I'm going to use it. Uh, I'm going to Wikipedia about speciesism. Speciesism is used in a philosophical way regarding the different treatments of individuals and the different treatment of different species. The term has had several different definitions within relevant literature. A common element among most speciesism involves treating members of one species as morally more important than members of other species in their context of in the context of their similar interests. Some sources specifically design, define speciesism as discrimination or unjustified treatment based on an individual's species membership while other sources define it as differential treatment without regard to whether the treatment is justified or not. So there's this cat named Richard Ryder who coined the term and defined it as, Prejudice or an attitude of bias in favor of the interests of Members of one's own species and against those of a members of other species Speciesism results in the belief that humans have the right to use non-human animals Which I would also go on to move to non-human plants which would go on and move to non-human uh, like mushrooms non-human rocks, non-human bodies of water, anything with a potential ancestral spirit that is not seen as animate or important or lifelike, which scholars say is so pervasive in our modern society. Studies increasingly suggest that people who support animal exploitation also tend to endorse racist, sexist, and other prejudicial views, which then further furthers the belief in human supremacy and group dominance to justify systems of inequality and oppression. So again, you can see right there why I think that's important. So I'm going to read that back one more time. Studies increasingly suggest that people who support animal exploitation also tend to endorse racist, sexist, and other prejudicial views, which furthers the belief in human supremacy and group dominance to justify systems of inequality and oppression. A little bit more. Some philosophers have argued that there is a normative relationship between speciesism and other prejudice such as racism, sexism, homophobia, and so forth. As a term, speciesism first appeared as a protest against animal experimentation in 1970. Philosophers and animal rights advocates state that speciesism plays a role in the animal industrial complex including the practice of factory farming, animal slaughter, blood sports like bullfighting rodeos the taking of animals fur and skin the experiment and the experimentation on animals as well as the refusal to help animals suffering in the wild due to national proce- natural processes and the categorization of certain species as invasive and then killing them based on that classification they argue that speciesism is a form of discrimination that constate- that cons- constitutes a violation of the golden rule because it involves treating other beings how they would want to be treated because of the species they belong to. So again, when we're looking at this idea, it's not a new idea. It's been around for a while, but really understanding this idea and how it kind of comes back to us as inclusive activists, I think is really important because when we start to look at like, um, the fact that like some like basically, the more utility an animal has to humans, the higher on a life hierarchy that animal resides. Right. So we will eat cows. Well, here's a great one. We will eat cows, but we don't eat horses. Except we do eat horses because we don't know about the gelatin thing. Um, gelatin's made of connective tissue and horse hoof. <laughs> um, but like we can like we use horses so because it has more utility to human beings we see it as higher on this hierarchy of life and it means more to us. Like uh again like we like monkeys, primates, you know, we think they're cute and things like that. You know, there's only certain animals that we eat. And two, even with the animals we eat, we we change the name of their meat, right? It's not we're not eating pig, we're eating pork, we're not eating cow, we're eating beef, right? And that distancing of the animal's suffering and spirit and what it's done to help and support us, I think, is really important. And and another thing that I think is really important to look at is, like, who, when we're looking at animal, like, animal industrial practices, animal processing, what a nice, like, term for such a horrific sounding, for what is actually a truly horrific thing, like who works in factory farming? Generally speaking, it's poor people of color. Uh, who works in like meat processing facilities? Again, what a great name for something that's so horrific. Uh, again, poor people of color, or rural rural white people, right? Uh, like who does the animal slaughter, um, and what is it? What's the cost on the humanity of the person that has to do that animal slaughter? Um, what does like watching or being engaged with blood sport, like bullfighting or rodeos or dog fighting or cockfighting, like what does that do to the humanity of the person that puts those two living beings in conflict with one another and hurts them? And I think recognizing that speciesism has something to do with our distancing, our own distancing from our own practices of humanity, is something that's really important. Now, I know this is going to be problematic, and I'm sure a lot of folks are going to look at me and go, well, Rowdy, like, you're not a vegan, you're not a vegetarian, like, aren't you a hypocrite? Well, I would say, yeah, to some degree, if I was going to be honest with you, I am a hypocrite in some ways, because, like, I still will eat some meat that is more used, uh, you know, like, I wish there was more cruelty-free meat available, um, because, you know, I would like to... Like, I would like to see us use more practices like that. Not just for the people involved, but for me. Because I'm sure there's a moral cost. Some type of humanity that wears away at me because of that thing. But then, too, I think things get complicated when you look at, like, vegetarian or veganism. Because I think there's an assumption that, like, you're not involved in the process of other sentient beings' pain. Or other beings' pain uh, when you're a vegan, right? Like... When you're going around and you're, you're doing, when you're plowing up crops, you're killing all types of worms, killing all types of bugs, killing all types of snakes. There's like animals under there that are being killed when you're eating like this organic stuff and there's pain that's happening in that thing. And two, the, the microplants around the plants that they're trying to keep alive, those You know, only certain animals can eat those things. And then they'll also try to keep those animals away from those things. So, like, it's really hard to honestly eat anything and not be involved in the suffering of something else that lives and breathes. And two, I don't know that things even have to live and breathe to be valued. Um, Like, I think rocks have some type of sentience and presence to them because, like, rocks can become dirt. And, like, dirt, I think, has a vivacious vividness to it, too, when you consider the life that comes from dirt. Like water, we don't value water. We don't value bodies of water or give them a sense of sentience. Um, Like, you know, we used to not be that way. We used to not live that way. And when we lived in a world where all things were seen as sentient, as important, I think we lived in better relation to one another. And I think we might have lived in better relation to us and all of our relations right but it's really hard because when we think about what or whoever are we, are we really related to like yeah we might include our pets within our family circles but shoot sometimes we don't even consider friends in our family circles which is funny because like i think a lot of people have had the experience of being adopted by adopt you know like not not paperwork, legally adopted, but like adopted by another family member, a family member that treats you, treats you as one of the own, one of their own when you're in that space. Um, and I think what speciesism needs to do and recognize is that this hierarchy of life is problematic and important to see and recognize because when you're, when you're towards the top of the hierarchy of life, like it's easy for you to hurt or cause pain or not care about the suffering of anything lower on that hierarchy. But because you're willing to engage in, if not tacitly endorse with your silence, the suffering of anything below you on that uh, pyramid of hierarchy, what's hard is you also have to recognize you're not truly at the top of that hierarchy pyramid either. And again, I'm not just talking about race. I'm not just talking about social class. Like we've created a hierarchy in every way or space in Western society. And, you know, when people think, like, who is in the top of the hierarchy, I think sometimes people will think politicians. But even then, I don't know that politicians have enough power to be considered the top of the hierarchy because some politicians are just puppets for billionaires or groups of elites that kind of control those forces, right? So what is hard when we start to take into account the suffering of non-human... Uh, beings, when we're thinking about speciesism, we become aware of the fact that we are not at the pinnacle of this pyramid and when we're not at that pinnacle of this pyramid then our life doesn't necessarily matter too I think I've talked about this on another podcast, part of the reason why I think the US has such a hard time with just being able to say black lives matter, is because we have to then recognize our life doesn't matter that much either not on a hierarchy of life Like, even me. I mean, I make pretty good money. If I'm not, like, lower-upper-class, then I'm upper-middle-class, for sure. And there's people that make quite a bit more than me, that have quite a bit more say than me, and can make me suffer for their own political gain or for their own... to enrich themselves, right? And this tendency to make anything that's lower on this social hierarchy suffer or be exploited or be reminded of how we're marginalizing those things... I think it does something to our humanity. And again, right? Because you're like, well, what do I do about this? And how do I feel about this? I don't know how to tell you what to think or feel about this. I'm just kind of like, in some ways, I'm honestly talking through this feeling with you now in this moment. I think what we need to do is take a moment and start to really honor and appreciate the sacrifices that sentient beings give us. So we can live the life that we lead. And again, I don't care if you're eating celery or if you're eating chicken. Both things died for you. And you are consuming part of that sentient being's life force. But are either people really considering the sacrifice of that thing to give you life? And in the sacrifice of that thing that's giving you life, are you doing something to help make sure that celery... Is being advocated for is being grown in the best of conditions? Um, are you trying to like make sure that that celery is grown in ways or spaces where other living beings don't die in that thing? Um, like with me, like I eat chicken, right? So what can I do with the energy of that ancestor chicken that I eat? Like perhaps I can like take my time and energy and recognize like how cruel chicken processing is, and I can advocate for. Um, less animal cruelty in the food industrial complex, right? Like perhaps, you know, I'm trying to eat as happy of eggs as I can find, but it's hard because like every time they put rules around something, they like exploit the baseline, like bottom of that rules thing for profit as much as possible. So when someone says like this chicken is free range, well, maybe maybe it gets access to free range for an hour Uh, And that free range isn't much range. Um, When it says cage-free, maybe it just means they're all packed together and they're all stressed and, like, hurting and pecking at each other because they're panicked and scared and worried. And they're put on antibiotics and all that stuff. So, yeah, they're not in a cage, but, like, they're still stressed and panicked and, like, having problems. And, again, we're not thinking, like, what happens? What happens when, like, I eat stressed chicken meat? What happens when you eat distressed celery, distressed tomato? Like, are we absorbing that energetic energy? And what is that doing to us? And again, I bring this up. And I know there's going to be people that are going to be like, Rowdy, like, speciesism? Seriously, we got racism. We got sexism. We got homophobia. We got transphobia. Like, what is this all about? For me, I feel like part of my job is like looking into like this great void and like trying to make sense of like what is happening here and how that stuff's put together and ask questions like, what role does speciesism have to play with that thing? What role does speciesism have to play in creating systems of hierarchy, systems of uh, exploitation, systems of marginalization? Because again, when you look at like who's processing or who's doing that work, like who's picking the vegetables again, probably immigrants're not being paid full wages being exploited for their labor because we create systems of exploitation so acting as though speciesism is not part of understanding what happens when in systems of racism sexism classism etc like we're not seeing that the suffering is not just in the animal the suffering is not just in the plant the suffering is not just in the animal we drive to extinction with uh, trying to make houses or clear enough land so we can eat hamburgers enough for ourselves it's really looking like how does this stuff interconnect or intertwine all together and really deeply thinking about how you and I play a role in that process because again our tacit silence is acceptance of this thing and the more and more I talk about this and the more and more I think about it the more and more I feel like I want to do something about it. I feel like I need to take better action with it. And I also need to like be in better relation with my food. Like I need to slow down every time I eat and give thanks to the rice, give thanks to the mushroom, give thanks to the chicken uh, that suffered for my ability to survive. Because, um, you know, in nature, things eat each other. And that's a, a horrible truth. But we are finding and learning that sometimes it's not always like a brutal, painful, like giving up of one life for another. Sometimes it's a surrendering of one for the other. They're like, they're doing studies and they'll see sometimes like when a herd of animals is being like chased as prey, like one animal will stop and like kind of get really still and calm and almost give itself for the rest of the herd. Um, There's not a lot of studies about that stuff. I've heard of these things before, but we don't know what that is or we don't understand how that works. I think we just see the brutality and we go, oh, how horrible these animals are. So of course we can commit horror to all these animals because these animals don't do anything for me. And two, I think like every animal and every living being has a role in society as a part of creating and making life on this planet. And until we can say... Yeah, mosquitoes. I'm not a fan of mosquitoes, but what do mosquitoes have to do with the overall ecosystem that makes life on this planet possible? And how can I be in better relation with my mosquito? Like, I don't know. Do I call them brothers and sisters? I don't know. My mosquito ancestors, right? How can we recognize that we are in relation with all our ancestors. And the reason that we're here on this planet and we have the ability to do and be capable of the things that we are capable of is because these animal ancestors are helping us. They're giving to us. They're making sure that like we have what we need to be able to live and thrive. But then we need to recognize that we are interdependent with those living ancestors and non sentient ancestors like rocks and dirt, and bodies of water and etc. Right. How do we be in better relation with all those things? How do we be the ancestors? How do we be proper ancestors to those non to those to those non human beings, to those non sentient ancestors? How do we be better ancestors to the plants? How do we be better ancestors to the met, to the mushrooms and stuff? So it's not really a problem. Um, it's really recognizing that we need to like kind of figure out what are we going to do about this thing. So with that, I don't have much, to, much else to share with you. Um, this is one of those like, things that I think you have to sit with and really dwell on. Because I think sitting with and really dwelling on this is really important. Because we are complicit in this hierarchy called speciesism. And I think like there's things that we could do about this thing and be aware of. And so recognizing and seeing that I think is important. Uh, because it exists and it's there and I kind of wish it wasn't there. And I really wish it wasn't a deal. But I don't want to not tell you something that I think will make you a better human being too. I think seeing and recognizing that is important as well. So, what did we talk about today? First off, we talked about speciesism. It's this hierarchy of life that we put everything on. We talked about some of the background and the concepts that were related to speciesism and kind of how that stuff works. And then lastly, we talked about how we aren't complicit with that. And even in being complicit, some of our humanity is perhaps getting worn away a bit in that process and seeing and recognizing that tendency i believe is incredibly important to see and understand and own because it's not just about recognizing that like we allow it to exist but our complicity also somehow it all it it wears away at our own humanity and it also puts those lower in a human hierarchy through suffering for our own benefit And it's really easy to ignore that inconvenient truth. So with that, that's all I have for you today. Again, if this was a thought or idea that made you think, that made you consider something new or different, please share it. Uh, Maybe rate and review the podcast. It's been a minute since the podcast has been rated or reviewed. And I would appreciate seeing or hearing that thing. So with that, uh, if you have a thought or idea that you want to share with me, you can email me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. Uh, You can keep track of what's going on with me at inclusiveactivism.com, or you could look at me, look up Rowdy Duncan and LinkedIn. If you're curious to know more about me, Google Rowdy Duncan. I'm the only dude that comes up, and most things are about me when you look at that thing, and we can be in better relation by you just doing those things. And really, in all honesty, what I'm trying to do when we talk about stuff, even difficult stuff, is recognizing there's a way to do something better and differently. There's an opportunity in being in better relation. And when I come up with a thought or an idea, even if it is a hard thought or idea, I'm going to tell you about it because we all need to be better humans as well as better all our relation ancestors for all living beings. And with that, uh, I ask you to have a wonderful day. Uh, hug and love on somebody. Appreciate the ancestors that passed for your sustenance to feed you. And we'll talk to you next month. Take care. Bye bye.